We just thank you for the time that you give us to seek you through your word. We thank you for the presence of the Spirit. We ask that you just bless us and keep us now. We thank you for the message that the Spirit is bringing. For it was not my words that are being spoken, but the words of the Spirit. And we just give you praise and all those things, and we give you thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. If you watch television for any length of time, you're going to be seeing commercials of full-length movies that feature many of the superheroes that you grew up with. From the world of DC Comics and Marvel Comics. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Iron Man, the Wolverine, and coming soon to a theater near you, The Flash, Captain America, which you know was just being filmed in Cleveland, and the Justice League of America. There is little wonder as to the huge popularity of these movies, beginning with the appeal of the spectacular special effects that bring the comic book characters to life right before your very eyes. In addition to all of this, all of these movies are popular because they have similar compelling storylines. Now the heroes of our childhood on the big screen are now a little edgier and cooler for this generation. But all of them are on the side of righteousness and good. And they battle the opposing forces of evil. We use these movies as a way of retreat. They help us to relax and unwind from our day-to-day -day routine, even though we're going to these movies and you hear these IMAX theaters with these huge explosions and it sounds like the whole building is being blown off with the skirmishes and the explosions, but we still go to these movies to relax. <laughs> Which makes me question all of us. No. <laughs> While we can relate <laughs> to our superheroes battling through madness and mayhem, our personal daily experience that we live through is a similar struggle of good versus evil. Evil. Good versus evil. We go through that every day too. Except we're far from super. And many of us wouldn't call ourselves heroes either. We are fallible. We're vulnerable. For we live in the reality of a fallen world. Surrounded by sin and transgression. That's our life as we know it. The news and events of each day reinforce that we are indeed in that fallen world. Our own behavior is challenged with conflicts, distractions, and temptations to sin. God's Word, thankfully, provides ongoing support and guidance to avoid this sin. But it's up to us, each of us, to remain consistent in this endeavor. With a constant effort 
to seek Him and His truth. Now that's what we've been praying about. A constant effort to seek Him and His truth. We get lies thrown at us all the time. We get deception thrown at us at all times. Every day. Let's take a look at Psalm 119. And note what the psalmist is going to say here that is so, so important for us to pay attention to. Because when we talk about this being an ongoing effort, the psalmist is pretty much telling us the same thing. In Psalm 119, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. And this applies to men and ladies. So let's read it. How can a young man or woman, we'll just throw it in there, keep his or her way pure? How can a young man or woman, young people, we're talking, keep his way or her way pure? By keeping your word. Amen? By keeping your word. Verse 10. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Now, this is not just a one-time deal. This is an ongoing effort. This is something you have to do every day. You have to make the commitment to say, this God's word that we read and we take part in is so important, I'm going to follow it every day and stay pure. But you decide that, don't you? You decide that. A few years ago, I presented a message on the role of your conscience in determining and discerning right from wrong. It was noted in that message that it is not just reliance upon your conscience by itself to make the right decisions, but it involves your inclusion of what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in your decision-making process. The Holy Spirit provides the thought process necessary and the guidance necessary to do the right things. Both the Holy Spirit and your conscience will make up what we will call today your moral compass. Your moral compass. The message today is called the moral compass. The moral compass. For the benefit of those of you who are Generation Y, that's these new youngins, a compass is the ancient old-timers version of today's GPS system. Back in the day, there wasn't GPS. It was that old compass that you would use to know which way north was. And you just start walking. It provides direction and guidance to successfully travel from one place to another. In this way, your personal moral compass guides you to make the proper response 
to outside stimuli based upon your morals and your value system. Your morals and your value system. Now, a compass, there are different types of compasses that have been in existence, some that use liquid, some that use just the magnetic fields and all that to determine it. But most compasses are subject to deviation and sometimes need to be corrected to make accurate readings. In the same way, a person's moral compass is only as good as his or her value system. Amen? It's only as good as what you put in. What you get out is what you put into it. Which means that the Holy Spirit, if your value system is out of whack, is clearly not involved in your thought process. Your moral compass is out of whack. When you're making poor decisions, reflecting upon your poor values, poor judgment, doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, but you do them. You got to take responsibility for it. <clears throat> there are a lot of injustices that take place in the world, no question about it. There are a lot of things that are said and done where people should be behaving a certain way. But ultimately, it still comes back to are you in sin or not? If you're in sin, what protection can you expect from God? A lot of people want to blame other situations on their situation, where they are. My question is, where is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Where are your morals? Where are your values? What are you holding in high esteem? It's safe to conclude that one's poor decision-making is the result of not relying upon godly wisdom. You can't blame somebody else for bad decisions you make. Amen. Or one amen to that. You can't blame other people for bad decisions you make. Amen. You've got to take responsibility for what you do. Your moral compass is at stake, not what somebody else does. Turn to James chapter 1, please. Scripture is great in giving us information that is helpful to us. Let's say you've got an important decision to make. Maybe it's buying a house. Maybe it's buying a car. Maybe it's something like getting married. Maybe it's like, who should I date? What should I do? Scripture gives you a guideline on how to answer these questions if you don't know what to do. Sometimes the best thing to do is nothing until you get the right answer. We sometimes try to get ahead of God and answer the question before he gives the answer. 
And then we wonder why we have crap at the end of the day. I'm telling the truth. You wonder why you've got stuff that you don't want anymore. But it says in James chapter 1 verse 5, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should do what? Ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. Just ask God, he'll give you the answers. Sometimes we don't want to hear the answers, not yet. Wait on the Lord. Wait for me. I have something for you, but you need to wait. We don't always want to hear that. But yet time and again, just like we talked about earlier, God has blessed us in so many ways, so many times, we've lost count. You can't count them. But you've got to wait on him. He'll give you what you want. He'll give you the answer. If you wait for wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you. The actual use of the term moral compass describes the foundation of one's values and behaviors from a moral perspective. Now I'm going to take some poetic license to expand my definition of a moral compass as a person who gives the perception of demonstrating high moral character. Now that's a perception from other people around this person. You are the moral compass, for example, in your family. You're the moral compass on your job. You're the moral compass around people that you come in contact with. Demonstrating high moral character. This perception, in addition to that, carries what I would call a high degree of influence with others who know you. For example, you are a moral compass amongst your friends if you can influence others just by your presence to clean up the other person's colorful language. In other words, they're not swearing around you like they normally would because you're in the area. Just by your presence. Or they'll actually fix it and apologize. What are you apologizing for? Because you have high influence. Your moral character, your values have influence in the midst of even people who don't know the Lord. A person known as a moral compass can have a positive effect, no question. But he also, or she, can drive people in a different direction. If the people that you are interacting with don't want to focus on godly things. You can push people away in your life if they have made a decision to not want to focus on godly things. So when they see you, they'll go running away. They'll go in a different direction. Because you are epitomizing godly values, and they don't want godly values. So you can push people away from you. It's not by your doing. 
You're doing what you should be doing. They're making a decision to go away from you because of what they want to do. Understand that. Now, this shouldn't be strange to a believer. For remember Jesus' comments when he was in the midst of his earthly ministry. Let's go take a look at Matthew chapter 10. None of this should be strange to you at all. You will influence people by your presence, but you'll also push people away. Why? Let's look at what Jesus says about it. Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 34 through 36. Remember what God's word does. God's word is like a sharp sword. And it cuts. And it divides. And it does very, very powerful things to people. Verse 34 says, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Is this not one of the most truest verses you've ever read in your life? Because God in his wisdom knows that this word will divide family members. And it has divided family members. And it will continue to do that. And as a believer in a family, you are looked upon differently than those in the family who are unbelievers. Goes with the territory. It's the reality. But understand something. It's the heart of the individual who makes the decision to not do the godly things that we do. You're still supposed to do the godly things. You're still supposed to have the high moral character. You're still supposed to be following the Lord. And you have to pray for those people and continually pray for them that God will touch them where they will acknowledge it's okay to be godly. It's reasonable to conclude that the gospel message that you convey to others is either going to draw a person near to you or to push the other person away from you. Don't change your message. It depends upon the heart of the response. Now, with all that in mind, have you checked your moral compass lately? Have you checked your moral compass? Do you have the proper focus in looking to Jesus Christ in everything that you do? Not just some things. Not just most things. Everything. You do. Amen? Everything. Because if it's some things, if it's most things, then what's being left out? What's being left out? It's very, very easy to compromise God's word when you leave Jesus Christ out. Very easy to do. 
When others look at you, do they see you as salt and light in the world? Or do you just blend in with everything else? Do they see you as salt and light, or do you just blend in? These are very important questions for the believer. For you, who believes in Jesus Christ. And they require honest answers. A believer in Jesus Christ is compelled by the love of Christ and the love of other people to serve him for his glory. That's what you're compelled to do. That's what you should be doing. Amen? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone you know. That's what you should be doing every day in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you're doing that, you as a believer, as a result, should never blend in. Never blend in. If you're blending in, you ain't doing it. Never blend in. Let's go back and look at Matthew chapter 5. We spent a lot of time this, at this year's seminar talking about this salt and light thing. Salt and light are distinguishing, distinguishing characteristics for a believer. Salt is seasoning. It enhances flavor in foods. Light is something that illuminates things around you. Those are distinguishing characteristics that make you not blend in. Stand out. But it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. That should give you pause right there. If you're not salty as a believer, you're no good for the Lord. Bless you. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. That doesn't make sense. But rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Make yourself visible in a way that not glorifies you, but glorifies God. That's what you, the moral compass, should be doing. So in order to glorify God through Jesus Christ, you as the moral compass of your sphere of influence, whoever you come in contact with, must continually show yourself as a vision of hope. Hope. Write that word down. In a world today where there's so much craziness going on, someone's got to be the vision of hope. Amen. Remember we talked about standing in the gap, being that one person, being that one person in the midst of people you come in contact with 
someone's got to be that vision of hope in a world that just portrays hopelessness over and over again someone's got to show some hope Show yourself as a vision of hope for those who are seeking the truth. Not everyone's going to seek the truth. But be there for those who do. Someone will. I promise you, someone will. The very meaning of hope is to create the expectation that good things can happen in one's life. Remember, what do your friends sometimes say? Everything is horrible. I ain't got no money. I don't have any food. I don't have anything to look forward to. Well, you have to get them past that. I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I don't have anything to look forward to. And say, yeah, there is something to look forward to. A fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do, is convey that to them. According to the Holman Bible Dictionary, hope is a trustful expectation, particularly with a reference to the fulfillment of what? God's promises. The fulfillment of God's promises are what create the hope that we have. He will keep his promises. Hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. The confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. We got to go by a track record, don't we? We got to go by the track record of our lives. What has God done for us up until now? Anything and everything you can imagine. Keeping you, preserving you, protecting you. And guess what? He'll do it for you in the future too. That's a promise. That's a promise. Hope is a key element in the knowledge and understanding that comes in a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And how we are to love others at well. Hope is a very key ingredient in that. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And you'll see the word hope being used. Of course, love is the prominent focus, but hope is in the picture. In order for you to have acknowledged Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you had to have believed there was a hope behind it. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now these, th now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But hope is what gets a person to start asking questions about Jesus Christ. That's what gets it started. The hope for something better. The hope for something to look forward to. You, as a moral compass, are that hope that people see. So in today's world, those who are sincerely seeking the truth will want answers. 
Therefore, they're going to seek out the persons who have godly character and demonstrate the practice of living in truth. Some are going to reject the truth. We've said that. We got that. But believers in Jesus Christ will possess the mind of Christ and will strive to live anyway, regardless of that, according to his will. You know how important it is to live according to God's will. You will do that, and people will see that. A true believer will live in accordance to the Great Commission and will want to see people saved for Jesus Christ. That's what you want. You want to see people saved. Now, of course, that comes with development with your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you really, you don't see Jesus Christ as a genie. You see him now as someone to live for. He's not there to do something for you. He's there for you to do something through him. There's a difference. That's a developmental relationship that you have to grow in Christ to understand that. And you're going to have the mindset that it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Because the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's your mindset. To seek and save the lost. That's what it's all about. So, how does a person regarded as a moral compass convey this hope to others? Well, there are four points that we will cover today whose letters, the first letters, are each going to spell out the word hope to show you what you can do. Each of the things we'll talk about, four different things, will spell out the word hope to be that hope for someone else. You're going to stand out as a moral compass that provides guidance and direction with your daily, daily approach in these three areas. Number one, H is for humility. Humility. Feel free to write these down. Hey, these are things that you should be doing every day anyway. Humility. Now why is humility so important? It's the first thing. It just happens to be the first thing. First letter in the word hope. H. Turn to James chapter 4. Let's take a look at that. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humility. James 4, verse 10. First of all, humility has personal benefits for you as a believer. Have you ever looked at it that way? When you're humbling yourself, there is a personal benefit. The personal benefit is that God is going to do things for you that you never would have imagined. When you humble yourself. It's amazing how people go out of their way to sometimes find ways to get notoriety or fame or fortune. Which scripture doesn't really address other than saying that if you exalt yourself, guess what? You'll have your reward and eventually you'll be humbled. And not in the way you would like. But yet if you humble yourself, it says in verse 10 in James chapter 4, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's a personal benefit. That's a personal benefit. He's going to exalt you if you step aside and let the Lord do the work. You will be exalted. 
Now keep in mind, you're already being exalted in many ways because you're this moral compass. High upstanding character. Person people look to. Per person people see as important when it comes to the truth. It doesn't have to do with your stature. It has to do with your presence before God Almighty. And what you do. And how you regard Him. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. Let's look at another verse. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, 4. Now, here's another personal benefit of humility. And I love it because it actually says the result of humility. The result of humility. Most people will not take this route. Let's start with that. Most people will not take the route we're about to read. Proverbs 22.4 says, The result of humility is fear the Lord along with, check this out, wealth, honor, and life. Personal benefit. Now, not wealth in the way that the world sees wealth. Not honor in the way the world sees honor. And for the sake of discussion, not even life the way the world sees life. We're talking about an eternal gift that God gives you. The wealth is in the richness of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The honor is in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Life is eternity with Jesus Christ. What a benefit! But it's the result of your humility. Fearing the Lord. And all these things are going to be added to you. If you do those things. Amen? Amen. Amen. But it has to do with what you treasure. What do you treasure? What do you think is going to get you ahead in life? Do you think it's going to be running over people? Or is it humbling yourself before the Lord? And allowing him, praying for your position at your company. Praying for what God would have you to do. It's not always the best position, perceived. It's not about always being the vice president. A lot of people talk at work, you know, like, you know, eventually I want to be vice president. Okay. Is that what God wants? Do you really want that, by the way? not always about the biggest position. But God says if you humble yourself, yourself before him, you will be exalted. You'll be exalted in your, your little position, whatever that is. I shouldn't say little. You know what I mean. In your position. You've heard the expression before, sometimes the biggest isn't always the best. Amen. That's true. Humility is the first step that every person must take when they first acknowledge the need for a Savior. Do you realize that you had to humble yourself to recognize that you needed a Savior? Do you realize that? You had to say, 
I'm not as big and bad as I thought I was. You had to humble yourself to say you needed Jesus Christ. That's the very essence of a believer. A believer is always finding ways to humble themselves. Letting God do the work. It begins there and it continues throughout life as a believer as one grows and develops in the wisdom and knowledge of God's word. This wisdom and knowledge begins with the appropriate reverence of God in your life. It requires a life of humility. Here's a verse you've seen before. Turn to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. And we're going to look at verse 10. In order for you to humble yourself, you will see God working in your life. If you don't humble yourself, you'll never see it. Amen? If you don't humble yourself, you won't see God working in your life. You'll always think it's about me, myself, and I. I did it. I went ahead and did that. I did that. I did that for you. That's what that'll be your attitude. If you don't humble yourself, you won't see God working anywhere. I got mine, brother. You go get yours now. Don't see any of that. But when you humble yourself, in verse 10 of Psalm 111, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. You know, you have to humble yourself to praise the Lord. Amen? To praise anything outside of your fleshly self, you have to humble yourself. So humility leads to the next acronym in HOPE. Number two, obedience. O for obedience. You have to be humble, no question, but you better be obedient. You cannot love God and show God's love to others without being obedient to his word. Amen. You cannot show God's love or love God without obedience to his word. Amen. You can't. Amen. That is one of the most unequivocal statements when it comes to your belief in Jesus Christ. If you want to show your love for God, be obedient to his word. Amen. Beyond that, you can't do it. Amen. Can't do it. The evidence of your obedience will be apparent in your daily consistent approach in how you remain obedient and convicted to God's word. Remain obedient and convicted to it. It's your daily walk as that moral compass that will show the importance of trusting God in his word, showing it to other people. 
You are showing people that God's word is important. You're showing people that it means something to you and you want to be obedient to him. You're going to show that obedience to God's word, God's word, really matters. Turn to 1 Peter. We'll look at an example of that. You are so convicted in God's word, you're going to show it to others. And because you believe that God has going to, is going to do and say everything that he says he will because of your obedience. There's a faith in that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Now remember, we, look, we, faith is not left out of this picture. That's why we're going to actually read it in the verses here. You have faith that God is going to deliver for you because you're obedient to his word. And you're conveying that message to anybody that comes in contact with you. You have faith he's going to do it. What do you mean faith? Faith. I know my God is going to come behind me and do what he says he's going to do. That's faith. That's what it's all about. It's going to actually say that here in this verse. Look at verse 20 in 1 Peter chapter 1. He, being Jesus Christ, was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, verse 21, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Note that this obedience we're talking about here requires faith. It requires faith, but let's face it, it's a necessary component of what we do as believers, isn't it? Faith that he keeps his promises, faith that he keeps his word, faith that he would do everything that he promises for you. Otherwise, why do it? Why do it? If you don't believe it, why bother Understand something, too. A lot of people, I read, I read something the other day. Lee Strobel, who was the person who now is very strong in the faith and has written books and all kinds of things. He was an atheist. And he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's writing on behalf of, you know, showing why it's important to follow Jesus Christ. He made a statement. He made a statement that said that many people don't read the Bible because they're apathetic. They don't believe that God's word means anything to them. <clears throat> So when you have a conversation with people about things of religion or faith, they don't think it necessarily applies to them. Or they'll accept whatever they think fits best for them. So we're dealing with a world that is not just ignorant of God's word, but apathetic about it. They have nothing to look forward to. They have nothing to hold on to. And this whole thing about faith is a stretch. Faith in what? That's where you come in. You can get people to change their thinking by demonstrating over and over again 
your love for Jesus Christ in everything you do. Because it's not just your actions that look, people look at. It's God changing the hearts and minds of people that come in contact with you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But faith has to be a necessary component that gets people to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. Flip over to a Hebrews 11, verse 6. Here's another thing that's really important about faith, too. Faith is something that is a necessary component when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. What's one of the complaints that some people may raise with you? Well, you don't have any faith in me. Well, you have to do something to show that you're worthy of any kind of faith. God has done it over and over again. And he challenges us with this. Hebrews 11.6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. You've got to believe that God is alive and well and living in Akron. But he's living through you. You're the one through the Holy Spirit who is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. But you've got to have the faith that he is doing that very thing. It's not just me telling you. You have to believe that. Because it says here, without faith, you can't please God. The one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Which leads to the third point. P in hope. Prayer filled. Prayer filled. In order to be humble before the Lord and obedient to his word, a life devoted to prayer must be in the mix. In the mix, prayer must be in there. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at verse 18. Notice all the scriptures that we're looking at that actually just support this whole thing about this hope we're talking about. This hope that you are as a moral compass in your sphere of influence. Being prayer-filled. And here's something, you, and I'll tell you something after we look at this verse, that you probably don't even think about. But your prayer life is so important when it comes to the people that you're trying to reach. Ephesians 6.18. Pray at all times. What does it say? Pray when? At all times. In the Spirit. With every prayer and request, and stay alert in this, with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. You're praying constantly. You're praying continually. You're doing so in the Spirit. You're not just praying for selfish prayers. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Mama needs a new dress. Not that juvenile stuff. That's kid stuff. 
that's not a growth or development of anything when it comes to your relationship. You're praying for other people. You're praying for people outside of yourself. Look, God is already going to take care of you. He wants you to have a heart for God by praying for other people. That's what this is about. Pray every prayer request. Stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray for this church. Pray for the body. Pray for your pastor. Pray for his wife and family. Pastor and Elaine are on the front lines. Who do you think wants to attack them more than anybody else? Satan does. You ought to be praying for the protection of your pastor and his wife. Because you know as well as I do, there are a lot of folks who have been in ministry who are no longer in ministry because of Satan's attacks. You pray for others. You lift them up in prayer. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers aren't just personal, but also for those persons that you interact with on a daily basis. Do you pray for your co-workers? Do you pray for the people around you? You should. Prayer is a mighty force. When you petition God to touch the people in your life to make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your prayers are powerful. When people know, now check this out. When people know that you are prayerful and sincerely praying for them, it speaks a powerful message of your love, care, and compassion for them. Not just when you pray to yourself, when people know you are praying for them. What message are you seeking or giving to them? You're telling them they're important. When they don't feel like they're important, you are telling them, yes, you are important. God thinks you're important. He thinks you're so important, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to keep praying for you. That is a huge testimony. Try it and see. See what happens. Take somebody under your wing that you know is struggling. Pull them aside and tell them, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to keep praying for you. And watch what happens in their life. Number four. The E in hope. Exemplary. When you are exemplary, you are setting the best example of living before others. You are exemplary. It is when you exhibit a great demeanor, a positive presence, and exceptional behavior as a believer in Jesus Christ. Others are going to be drawn to your behavior. People will come to you. People will seek you. People want to be around you. You know, when you were growing up, some of us, when we grew up, we weren't the most popular people. Some of us were bookheads. You know, you get all the names. Bookheads, bookworms. So smart, you know, you wear glasses. Everybody else laugh at you. 
may even get picked on a few times. Boy, look at us now, huh? Even those times when you're being ridiculed, you still want to do the right thing. Still want to do the right thing. Still want to do those things where you're humbling yourself before the Lord. And He will exalt you. Well, in doing so, now, here we are, those people who were picked on when we were young. Now we have people who are being drawn near to us and seeking us out because we're following Jesus Christ. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. Living an exemplary life. Exemplary life draws people to you. Now, you still need to show yourself as a human being. Do the best you can. Do the best job you can at work. Show yourself to be the best person of integrity, doing what you should do. But you're still going to make mistakes. You still have to be a human being. Recognize when you make your mistakes, own up to them. Own up to your mistakes. You can't misstep in this area. Your character and your integrity speak volumes about who you are. Being exemplary. In sporting events or competitions, you're to be humble in victory and gracious in defeat. What did I say? You're to be humble in victory and gracious in defeat. Now, look, look, everybody, you don't know who's watching you. A lot of folks are watching you. People are looking at your behavior, and if you're a bad winner, just like you're playing bid whist or something, just pick a game. I don't care what it is. I'm kind of in the bid whist right now. I play electronically on my iPad or something like that, right? And you know, you know how I used to play those games? And you get all big and bad because you know you got somebody beating you stick the stick the thing up on your forehead. Yeah, I actually do remember that. Sometimes I remember being happening to me too. Didn't feel so good. Humble in victory, gracious in defeat. Nobody likes a poor loser. But that's your testimony. That's your testimony. You cheated. Ain't nobody cheated. You just lost. <laughs> you got your butt beat. Just deal with it. Your exemplary behavior will draw people near to you and also to Jesus Christ when you show your love and concern for others. This is the essence of your life as a moral compass, standing up for Jesus Christ and standing out while living for Jesus Christ. You get that? Standing up, standing out. Standing up, standing out. You stand out. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're on the home stretch here. 1 Peter 2, 12. First Peter two, verse twelve. Now, 
you are not always going to be looked upon favorably with your walk as a believer. But it's amazing how God will still bless in that and still give you favor before others because of your character, because of your walk, because of your position, because of your lack of compromise. You know, it really gets on people's nerves. They can't say anything bad about you. Have you ever noticed that? I don't have anything bad to say about the guy. I don't like the guy, but I don't have anything bad to say about him. Well, that's what you want to be. You don't want to be a person where somebody can think of something bad to say about you. It says in verse 12 in 1 Peter 2, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil... In other words, they'll try to lump you in. That's okay. They will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. There's an end game to this. They may not look upon you favorably right now. But there comes a time when they will. Whether it's here or whether it's before the Lord. But that's their choice. Always be a testimony for Jesus Christ, no matter where you go and what you do. And let the Lord do the work of bringing people to him. But we've got to have somebody who stands in the gap. We've got to have somebody who takes that step to stand up and stand out. Go to John chapter 13. Our example when we do all these things is following the example of Jesus Christ. One of the most humbling things that Christ did was to wash the feet of his disciples. The very nature of bowing down and washing someone's feet. If you've never done that before, I recommend you do it. Try it. I can make a joke. See, Charles isn't here now. I'm going to have Charles wash your feet, Joanna. Okay. Just to see what it's like. Oh, he's in the back. Okay. So, but there's nothing that you can think of anything more that's, you have to humble yourself to do this. You're bowing down. It's the very nature of washing someone's feet. But that's the example that Jesus Christ gives us. Look at what he says here in verse 12. And we're going to read to verse 17. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Here's a lesson that he's teaching. You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. He says he's teacher and Lord. Okay. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. An example. Verse 16. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What is he saying here? 
When it comes to the body of Christ, we are all on the same plane. We are all one. We are all to be servants. You know, the first thing we expect is somebody to take care of us, serve us. You take care of me. You do that. No, you are a servant. Jesus Christ is giving you the example. As teacher and Lord, as he said. That's the example. That's part of your exemplary behavior. You are showing other people it's more important for you to serve others. Take care of others' well-being. Pray for other people's well-being. Than for someone to take care of you. The moral compass has an important role in the body of Christ, both for the individual and for those he or she interacts with. It starts with the reliance of the Holy Spirit in making all decisions, and it continues as you live for Jesus Christ in providing hope to others. Hope to others who need to make a decision for him. Your mission in the Great Commission is to show others the love of Christ through humility, obedience, prayer, and exemplary behavior. It is living in the best way you can, the best way you know how, to be that salt and light in the world before others. And it starts with your faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It starts with you. You can do it. You check out your moral compass. See where it's pointing. See how God can use you. Challenge yourself to see how God can use you today and in the future. Amen? Amen. Father, we're so thankful that you have showed us through the Spirit how we can be a powerful influence in this world just by being ourselves through you, allowing the Spirit to work through us. Not changing our behavior, but changing our character. Not changing the basic things we do, but focusing on what you would have us to do. And relying upon that. We just thank you, Lord, for how you have used us to this very moment. And Lord, we just pray now to be challenged to even grow more in the future in our love relationship with you where we understand how important it is for us to see the world as you see the world, to see the lost the same way that you see the lost. You love them, you care for them, you're concerned for them. And we thank you, Lord, for answers to prayer in the future. We thank you for the testimonies. We thank you for the words you would have us to say to those who call upon us. Lord, you're to be glorified, and we just thank you.
We thank you for those opportunities again, like I said, in the future. We give you praise and all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.